Welcome to New Narrative Southeast Asia Dispatches. I'm your host, Bonibel Ramatan, Editorial Manager for New Narrative. New Narrative is a movement to democratize democracy in Southeast Asia, and this podcast is one of the ways we attempt to do just that. A primary reason that democracy seems to remain inaccessible to many is the sheer imbalance of power relations among various members of society that we still have to this day. Foreign domestic workers are a great example of this. People who labor under unreasonably long work hours and inhumane conditions, often with massive amounts of debts to pay and their ID documents taken away from them, not to mention the abuse by their employers who keep getting away with treating them like trash. It's basically modern-day slavery. So one might ask, why doesn't the government do anything about this? Teo S. Marasigan, a Filipino activist and researcher, may have an answer. According to him, at least in the Philippines, the entire economy of the country relies on the very exploitation of its people. In fact, the phenomenon of overseas Filipino workers, or OFWs as they are known, has become so institutionalized that the government has given it a legal name. Yes, labor migration has helped address the short-term needs of migrant families and the economy, and has benefited migrant receiving countries, local elites, and the government. But on the other hand, building a structure where it's okay for human beings to treat other human beings like that, it's just not right. No matter how much the benefits are to the economy, or how much you spin it, Fortunately, though, there are small ways for OFWs to push back, fight for their rights, and build their own resilience initiatives. In the United Arab Emirates, there's a particular help desk for distressed OFWs, run by a handful of Filipinos from various professions working in the country. This organization is, of course, run in secret. OFWs are able to reach the help desk through contact details that are disseminated only through word of mouth. It's bare minimum, but it's something. Um, hello everyone, uh, I'm Teo Marasigan. This is my first time to be in a podcast. Uh, I'm very happy to be here. Hello Bonneville and to the listeners. That's Teo S. Marasigan, the Filipino activist and researcher I mentioned earlier. He is the author of Nakung Saan, or In Which, a collection of essays published by the University of the Philippines Press in 2018. Teo will talk to us about the phenomenon of OFWs at large, including the history of its creation and how it is sustained to this day, as well as its detrimental effects. Hello, uh, good morning here, actually. Uh, Thank you for inviting me to join with this podcast. I am here uh, working in United Arab Emirates. And that's Zelda Santos, a member and volunteer of the help desk I mentioned earlier, striving to help exploited overseas Filipino workers in the UAE. If Teo does the desk research, Zelda is very much on the ground. As an OFW herself, Zelda is very familiar with the exploitation and violence that OFWs must endure in their day-to-day lives which was the primary reason she volunteered at the help desk. Today, we'll be hearing her side of the story. So we are today going to be discussing about, um, yeah, OFWs. But I guess we can start with the first question. This is for Theo, right? Um, How did we get here to this um, OFW phenomena? Because you mentioned in your research tale that this started as a stopgap measure, but then the government ended up aggressively exporting Filipinos. Could you just briefly tell us about that? Yes, that's true. Uh, On the one hand, the Philippines was faced with a balance of payments crisis and high unemployment. This This was in the early 1970s. On the other hand, there was a construction boom in the Middle East, fueled by petrodollars. The Middle East was earning a lot uh, the Marcos government saw an opportunity to provide jobs to Filipinos in the in the Middle East. So the Marcos government considered labor export as a stopgap measure, but it immediately uh, created a legal framework for it. It's not only economic. Marcos was quoted as saying that the Philippines exports its uh, socio-political uh, tensions. Uh, and uh, because of uh, economic mismanagement, the Philippines was uh, you know, got into a lot of debt. And uh, because of that, it became even more dependent on labor export. Um, 
Another turning point is uh, in the late 1980s and early 1990s, the Middle East construction boom ended uh, and the feminization of migrant labor happened. Uh, more and more women were joining the OFW ranks compared to men. In my view, this was an opportunity for the government to change course, but it did not. Instead, it intensified labor export. I think this is the period that can be described as having sustained labor export after it was initiated. That's uh, that's for the more of the historical context, right? Um, I'd like to go over to Zelda here. So what was your own story? How did you decide to become uh, an OFW? Maybe it was like uh, 2018 or 2019. Yeah, uh, actually, uh, the thing is, you know, it was really the poverty in the Philippines uh, that pushed me to go abroad. Perhaps most of the Filipino who went abroad, you know, did so far to, you know, uh, same reason as mine. But in my situation, you know, um, my my heart really bleeds um, when my uh, when I see, you know other children eating like this eating like that when i uh when my kids my children have nothing i cannot give them what they want um i cannot uh send them if they are sick i cannot send them in a hospital because you know the budget is very tight mm, as a mother as a single mother uh you cannot just sit around, you know, and uh, allow this to happen. That is why I decided to go abroad. Or, you know, just to change our lives. Yeah. And what was the reaction of your family and your closest, uh, the closest people around you at the time? Actually, um, before I came here, uh, this is the second country where I okay. used to work. My first country is, uh, where uh, I work is in Qatar. My ex, uh, I worked there for t- 10 months. And then because of, you know, those uh, violations, the working conditions there is not really good. I decided to go back to my country. So after that incident, my family doesn't want me to, you know, go abroad again. But, they are just, you know, they are uh, wor- uh, worrying a lot that I might experience same situations as I, you know, yeah. as what I experienced in Qatar. Mm-hmm. So at first, they they still, uh, you know, they don't like, they are not pushing me to go abroad. But the situations in the Philippines, as I, as I told before, as a mother, you, you cannot just sit down. So even they are worrying, I have to make sure that I have to do it for their future. I have to do it for them, you know, just to provide what they they need. They are needed to. Did you feel like? Because I I understand. I understand that in you know the Filipino government often calls. I mean, I think I forgot who who started this tale. Maybe you can uh, tell us more about this later. But you know, there's this whole narrative of um, OFWs as new heroes or bagong bayani or yeah. Uh, not sure if I'm saying that correctly, but has there ever been a point, uh, Zelda, where you felt like, oh, yes, I am a hero. This is, you know, this is something um, heroic, something patriotic, or were you just um, more like desperate and you understand the situation fully, but you still do it anyway? Which, uh, how, how did it go for you? For me, in a, you know, uh, those narrative, they are, you know, it's just like, it's really a pro. A propaganda of this government. Why I said so? Before uh, I was also a, a peasant advocate in the Philippines. So, with the you know the the um uh, the situation of the farmers when it comes on their concern, their demands for the you know for the agricultural or something, their demands for their right to till or everything, the government doesn't know. They are not providing any help i see so when when i decided to be an ofw i see same situation there are many migrant workers here that as that are asking for help but they are not giving them you know they are not assisting them what should be 
the government to be done, you know. They are just, you know, they are just only, uh, they are using us as a milking cow. What are your thoughts and what are your findings based on your research about this uh, propaganda and this exploitation and this inadequacy of the government to provide help for those who actually need them? Um, yeah. Um, uh, with regard to your question about the new heroes, uh, mm -hmm. this was this rhetoric was started by President Cory Aquino, uh, who replaced the Marcos uh, dictatorship. Um, and there have been many analyses of this government rhetoric and discourse. Um, I think the grain of truth is that there is an element of sacrifice in being an OFW. You are leaving your family and friends behind, adjusting to a new environment, among others. And that OFWs contribute a lot to the Philippine economy. Um, in her essay on the topic, political scientist Jean Encinas Franco says that the rhetoric or discourse makes labor migration seem common sense are publicly acceptable, legitimate, and seemingly unquestionable, quote-unquote. At the same time, it downplays the Philippine state's role in labor migration, so it makes it appear that you know labor migration is just a natural uh, thing to do. Uh, uh, this is interesting because it is also used to encourage Filipinos to leave the country, so it's a natural thing to do, but actually it is the government encouraging the people to leave. I also think that by downplaying the role of the state in labor migration and holding up overseas work as heroic, this discourse depoliticizes what heroism means in the country. You can be a hero without examining the Philippine state or the power relations or the political elites that hold political power in the country. I'm also interested in, in your comment earlier about um, exporting social tensions. Could you talk more about that? Well, to put it simply, somebody said that if there's no labor migration, there would have been a revolution already in the Philippines. Because there's a lot of unemployment, a lot of uh, anger at social conditions, corruption, inequality, etc. But it became like an exit valve, a safety valve, where people, you, know, you release the, the tensions simmering within Philippine society. Um, I'm going to come back to Zelda here. Um, you you did say that a lot of your uh, families, uh, family members and friends were worried when you wanted to go back to, um, as an OFW, again, to the Gulf countries, to uh, to the UAE. Were there also, like, uh, were there, how, how was it like the anger for the government that Teo just mentioned? Did you actually, you know, were there discussions about how this was all, you know, you know, you were wishing the government could do better. Were there like in in those days before you went to, uh, after you you went home from Qatar and before you went back to uh, to become an OFW again? Um, what were the discussions like in your circles, in your families and friends? Actually, uh, when I go home, uh, I started to find a job there because I think you know. Working abroad is not really, it's not for me. But I cannot, as what Teo is uh, uh, telling, um, there are many Filipino peoples in our country, you know, in, in the Philippines, there are jobless. So is there any option? Going abroad is always an option now because the government is only, you know, they are introducing this, the, the labor export program go abroad, you can have the money there. So, at first, you know, uh, it is really my problem when I was here because um, my experience, I was a, a victim of human trafficking, actually. I, I came here uh, without agencies in the Philippines. So, I entered this country using a visit visa. This this situation. How can I go with this uh, situations if I have choice? Mm, mm, mm. Why it is happening? And yeah, when I yeah. was here, when and then when when I was here, we are just like you know a prostitute. We are falling line, waiting for the employer to choose you. It depends on how how you perform. We are locked in in room. We are uh, they are confiscating our phones. They are not uh, allowing us to contact our, uh, 
our family in the Philippines to let them know our situations. Wow. They are not giving us food. If we didn't, you know, if we didn't do the trial, there is no food. Wow. This okay. Is my first six months here. You had no phones. You had like no means of contact, your uh, contact with your family for six months. They give me at one for five minutes. For my, I think one, uh, I one week. When five I stay minutes. here one week, they prob yeah. After that, no. Okay. Nothing. Oh wow, that's that's pretty harsh. Um, are people aware of this? Because you know, again, once again, we did mention over and over that you know this is an initiative that the government is continuing to push, but it's very, uh, it's very inhumane and it's very you know modern day slavery would would be uh, an appropriate term to to call that. You must have felt very helpless because, again, you know, people, this is an initiative that the government is continuing to push. But at the same time, all of these horrible exploitations are happening. And I understand that eventually you volunteered at a help desk. But before those times, I was wondering how you actually... You know, how, how was it like for you and for your friends? What was the discussions like? What was the anger like? My first, yeah, first three months when I was here, uh, because uh, we already uh, see this, our situation there. Actually, in one accommodation, uh, in one room, we are like 20 or 30 people. So... Uh, we are, uh, they are allowing us to go outside when we are only going to the office. So, if you are not going to the office, you've been locked in that accommodation. There are some who are, you know, they are, uh, their phones, they didn't uh, give that to the agency because they are confiscating. There are some who are, who have two phones. Uh, we are asking uh, our family in the Philippines to load, to give some loads. So, we do the, you know, we we have those uh, social media. We post that we are asking help to the government to rescue us there because our situation is very worse. So we are expect we are, you know, we came here just to find work to have a decent job, but our situation in the Philippines is worse than what, what, we, what we experience here. We cannot allow to go outside. We cannot, we don't have money. We use the social media, but the thing is the government really doesn't care. As long as they are, you know, they are sending Filipino migrants here, they doesn't care at all. Whatever happened to you, it is your choice. They always blame us. So who, who, who let you to go there? You know, who pushed you to go there? It's you. You decided to go there. They are not thinking why we end up here. Why is the job, the work in the Philippines, the working condition in the Philippines? Is there any job in the Philippines? They are not thinking about it. They are just thinking how they can send people here to be a slave. I'm just curious how how did you manage to survive and like how what what kind of thing I mean before you eventually found the the help desk and you know started volunteering to help others and how did you and your and your peers survive I mean what what kept you going despite all of the exploitation or maybe some of you did not survive I, I, you can you can tell me in our accommodations there are some you know um they send them home. But us who stay here, we are looking at least we can go from this accommodation. We can go to uh, go out with these agencies. So we have to find at least the, a good employer. So when we have those trials, we are still looking for the good employer. At least we can go. We, because in, the, in that agencies, you cannot do anything. We've been lucky. So when I got my my first two, three employers, 
I have four employers before when I got the one where I finished my contract. Those are really worse. So when I was working with my um, those who lasted my uh, my employer, uh, I volunteer. So even even I reach with this uh, uh, desk for the distress OFW, I used to help on my own initiative. So I have to, you know, I have to study about the la the la the labor law here. I have to uh, to learn more about the policy here. So enable to, you know, to to uh, to give good advices for those who are in need. Same with my situations. So mm -hmm. actually, I I used to read those pages. I joined some um some like group chat. Of Filipino workers that are, you know, uh, they have si same situation as me. So we are changing, uh, changing our opinions. And then, some uh, one of my colleagues advises me, "Oh, there is like this there. Uh, this there is a desk that is helping OFWs. Uh, maybe you can join them." So one of uh, a friend contact me. So and then asked me to join, if I can join with that. So, because of my situation, I wanted to. So I decided to join. Like, oh, what can I am doing like this? I am helping Filipino migrant workers, but my knowledge is very little. So I wanted to learn more. It is a good thing that I joined with this group. Um, but also, it must have been pretty dangerous uh, volunteering there, I imagine. Um, can you tell us about the maybe the dangers or the threats or how you felt at the time that, you know, doing something that you have to, you know, prioritize your safety as well, but also you're helping other people. How, what was it like? It, it is not about, uh, you know, um, my problem is what if, uh, if they, uh, I am caught, uh, it is regards with my security. What if those agents, because I have experienced before that there are, one uh, agent that I use, uh, I call because I have to, you know, to, uh, what is this? What do you call it? I have to portray like I am their member of their family. Uh, I okay. ask the agent that I am the sister of that uh, OFW that asking, seeking help, that uh, we are going to uh, go to the police station uh, uh, to, to report what is happening to our one of our kababayans that been abused with the uh, with the employer and then they are, and then the agent is keep on calling me we are going to you know to report you also because that is uh because there is no violation they are explaining that there is no violation but there is a violation the one that we helped before is uh, no working, as as you know, the contract violation. There is no rest day, no working hours. Okay. Uh, they are not giving, you know, food. Same what happened to me. They, she has been yeah. locked. So that is the the, the 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 that is my concern before my security. If I will continue to help. Uh, Filipino migrant workers here uh, that you know it might be end up like oh. they will uh, send me back to the Philippines mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because uh, in this uh, country uh, they are not they are very strict in regards to this you know this uh, or organization building some organizations to do yeah. to help uh, distressed Filipino workers mm -hmm. yeah so um Facing all of these challenges, right? So, despite the dangers to your to your safety, and despite all of these uh, threats, and and also the challenges that you need to learn a lot of things, uh, a lot of new things about labor law and about everything else, um, it must be pretty exhausting for you, and it must be pretty anxiety inducing as well. Were there times where you just like? You, you just wanted to give up? You just wanted to be like, you know what, I'm just going to go back to the Philippines? Or were you just, you know, adamant that, hey, no, these people need help and I must keep going? How, how was it like the, 
um, emotional journey, so to speak, that you've experienced throughout all of this? It is really sad on my part when uh, we cannot provide uh, more of what is need, uh, they are needing, you know, the assistance that the government failed to, you know, to provide. Uh, it's like, you know, it is really sad when uh, some of those big team refuse to fight the right because they are peer. They might end up, you know, to become worse if they will still continue fighting. Mm -hmm. It mm -hmm. is really, you know, it, it is very hard. Um. And it really... Uh, very in my in my case i am very angry you know i cannot do yeah. anything only just to give them some advices to do like this to go with the, these agencies to tell them that uh as the government when when in my you know in my own opinion the government doesn't care i have a lot of experience here there yeah. are, you know, they, they are only ending, they are only, you know, they put the the concern of the distress OFW in one agreement. For example, uh, a rape case. Instead of, you know, giving mm. them the justice, they are only telling to the victim, we are going, the agency will only provide you ticket. You go home. Did it ever, did the case ever proceed, like amount to anything? Or was that just... Those in the government, mm -hmm. they doesn't care. They yeah. only end up to finish the complaint. They will tell to the victim, okay, have a settlement. You go to the, you go to, to the embassy, and we will have the agreement with you and with your agency. So they will only provide ticket. Mm -hmm. Imagine mm -hmm. that. And if, you know, really, it really, I am angry now, you know. Yeah, Be yeah, because yeah. It reminds me, those big team, you know, they are already big team with their employer. They are big team with these agencies. And even the worst is with our government. They yeah. are still being you know they are still big team i understand that you're you know this must make you feel very very angry um but also what are your hopes like um because you've been angry for a long time and it's a very dire situation obviously but i see you there and you keep fighting so what keeps you going what keeps you hopeful um to really you know, fight for more, just struggle despite all of these things. I, I'm still, you know, I'm still fighting for, you know, for the our right. Yeah. For the, you know, for for our working, con at least improve our working, uh, uh, working condition here. Hopefully, hopefully the government should take responsibility in all of this. You yeah, know? they should. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But at least um yeah, go on. I, I I'm going to start crying because I hate the idea of this, really. No, how many Filipino workers should be abused before yeah. they will act? You know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's before very they will take responsibility. Extremely. How many, you know, those who are sitting there, how many salary? they can get from us here. I also believe that, you know, you're doing amazing work there because at least um, even if you feel that, you know, there isn't much you can do without without the government helping, but I believe that your presence, you and the other volunteers in the help desk itself has made at least, you know, given some hope that the uh, that they're not alone. That the yeah that the OFWs the domestic workers and everyone else uh, uh, 
who are the victims of these cases, even if the cases are terribly handled, but at least, you know, they're not alone because there's there's you there and there's like other volunteers at the help desk, right? Um, what has been the, the, the conversations, the comments like uh, between you and the people that you've helped or, yeah, the people that I think have found the organization, the help desk in general, helpful? When you help uh, those uh, in need, um, there are some cases that, you know, we, we there are cases that they win. Um, though it is not that who, you know, it's not really that winning conditions on that, but they are already out with that uh, situation. For example, with the, the story before that was written by Theo, it was Angie and um, what is the name of the other one? Lori. Lo Lori, yeah. We used to help them. Actually, uh, the rescue, um, the follow-up, everything. The desk, the OFD desk helped them to go out with that uh, situations. Oh. The good thing is, uh, we are not just only helping them uh, to, to go out with their uh, situations. We are encouraging them uh, to at least, you know, uh, share their experience with the others uh, who in uh, the same situations. So the positive thing is, if there are Many uh, there are some of our kababayans that need their help. They are sharing their stories on how they fight right. and how uh, they demand. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that that is the the thing. So with that experience, uh, there are many uh, of our kababayans that we are you know we can rescue. You know we can educate them how to deal with this, uh, <clears throat> you know, their situations. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure hearing these stories can be uh, pretty empowering for for other distressed OFWs, right? So the thing, yeah, the thing that you're doing, uh, Zelda, and also Teo, writing about that, I think, I think it can be pretty, um, it is our hope that it will empower and push for more, ch more positive change in this phenomena. So even if, Again, it's a structural phenomena. So, yeah, wanted to come back to that. Um, Teo, can you elaborate more on the dependency uh, of the government on this phenomena, and maybe like who the beneficiaries are and and so on? Well, uh, uh, thank you, Bonnie. Um, as I argued in the article, <clears throat> labor migration provides immediate relief to OFW families and to the Philippine economy. We're not denying that. You know, some OFWs are able to send their kids to school. Uh, you know, uh, even. Uh, repair their houses, etc. Uh, the National Migration Survey of 2018 shows that remittances go to the basic needs, actually, of Filipino family of OFW families: uh, food, education, health services, etc. Remittances remittances go far, but not that far. At the same time, labor migration has benefited recruitment agencies. Uh, you know, uh, these are the because the government has privatized recruitment, so they have allowed agencies to collect fees from uh, from prospective OFWs, uh, also banks and money transfer companies because, you know, OFWs monthly or more than monthly, actually, I heard from Zelda, she sends, I think, weekly. So the banks and the tra money transfer companies are benefiting from them. Um, of course, OFW receiving countries, you know, because they, are, they have access to cheap labor. Um, and the biggest businesses in the Philippines, malls, real estate, etc., all of these are beneficiaries of uh, the OFW phenomenon. I argue, however, that the Philippine state is the biggest benefactor from labor export. Uh, with little government effort, labor migration benefits the government by ensuring employment abroad for a significant section of Filipinos and bringing remittances to the domestic economy providing many families basic needs and soothing potential discontent and anger. It enables the government to collect huge taxes and boost about, boost, boast about uh, economic growth while lessening the pressure to generate decent uh, domestic employment. It therefore contributes to the government's economic and political survival. 
and which government would be brave enough to reform this practice. While OFW's efforts to help their communities by sending funds for construction and virus programs are well-intentioned, these are indirectly political in that they obscure the government's failures in this regard. So uh, the Philippines, uh, with regard to dependency in OFWs, you know, to dependency on uh, OFW remittances, you can see the government not really resolving many important problems in Philippine society, like for just even the basic heavy traffic, um, high power rates, high water rates, you know, these are things that, you know, a government that, that's not dependent on something else would try to resolve because the, the economy and the people uh, depend on it. But, you know, the government just lets this chaos happen to ordinary Filipinos uh, because, because you know, uh, the economy will, will still, you know, quote-unquote grow because of OFW remittances. So this, is kind, this, this kind of dependence is happening. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering, what are the arguments from the from from the other side and also like uh if you've if you've heard if you've if you've researched for example like oh we can't actually stop this because if we stop this you know this and this and this will happen we'll get into a crisis or you know all of these uh common talking points that people like to uh that the government usually likes to say so if we stop exploitation of, of, of filipinos if we stop ofw's what would actually happen to to the to these beneficiaries? Would you agree that it might cause some kind of like economic crisis for a while, or what are your thoughts? Um, well, one thing one one thing I've learned from doing my research is that actually there's more of a consensus among scholars that labor export is not sustainable, but this is not reflected in government policies. How does the government uh, justify this? I'm thinking, um, actually, they don't. They just encourage. Um, uh, they think that now it's like a natural thing to do. So they, it, it is so deeply ingrained that they don't have to justify it. Um, it's just you know the, the way things are, you know. And Philippine uh, and creating jobs at home is not something they think about. I think the main thing is to encourage employment in the Philippines, to create decent jobs in the Philippines. I think it's not, you know, immediately stopping OFWs, but, you know, creating better conditions in the Philippines to encourage Filipinos to go home. Um, but, of course, even that is radical talk. You know, it's not, it's not because it has become so common sense to even speak about generating decent jobs in the Philippines. It's still fighting radical talk in the Philippines to create decent jobs in the Philippines. So this is the condition we're in now. Um, things. Yeah, so it will really take a lot, you know, to pressure the government to stop mm -hmm. labor export and to create decent jobs at home, mm -hmm. especially because this has, you know, the way the Philippines has been going has, uh, you know, proceeded through time. It's just dependence on OFWs and there's this new uh, source of uh, lifeblood like the BPO, business process outsourcing, call centers, and uh, but basically, everything, all economic poli policies are basically, you know, just just the same and uh, dependent on foreign investors, etc. It's interesting that you said that, you know, the government or like anyone doesn't have to justify it anymore because it's like, it's just second nature. It's just like the way things are. So um, that means that, you know, we need, we really need to push for, uh, all of these various counter narratives, right, in our activisms, in our protests. Um, do you think that, like, what, what would you say would be most effective to fight against these narratives? And also, if you think that there are things that are still lacking in our activisms, in our protests, in our resistance, uh, what what could be improved from from our side, not from the government side, to actually demand more from the government? Within the presence of all of these uh, narratives that, you know, we need counter-narratives, we need, like, action to demand more from the from the government, and we need to uh, perpetuate counter-narratives to, uh, to the current narratives so that we don't just, you know, people just don't, uh, won't just believe that it's just the way things are. Uh, you know, we need to push for change. So I was asking, um, what do you think is lacking in our own side, from in our own activisms, protests, uh, resistance activities? What can be improved so that we can fight back in a more efficient manner? Well, while you were asking this question, one thing that 
came to my mind was the need for new narratives. And, you know, I'm doing research for new narratives, contributing articles to new narratives. And one thing that I, I've been learning is, you know, how really bad the situation in the Philippines is. So when I was writing about uh, OFW phenomenon, you know, when you, the Philippines ranks fourth, fifth, but when you do a per capita study, it emerged that the Philippines is like the top dependent on uh, remittances, top exporter of labor. So it's it's really big, you know, and now I'm doing research about the oligarchy and inequality in the Philippines is one of the worst in Asia. So these things, you know, because I think uh, we Filipinos are submerged in our reality, but when they see this bigger picture, they, they, they understand, you know, that there really is a problem that needs to be solved. So that's one kind of narrative <clears throat> that we need to promote. Um, I think, yeah, you know, um, I think there's a lot of improvement that can be done with regard to um, um, presenting our cause, presenting our issues, um, usually on the basis of uh, OFW, you know, um, struggle or uh, resistance and also the experience of suffering and exploitation. So I think we have to touch base with that so we can have a basis for raising uh, understanding about uh, labor export in general. Do you have any thoughts on, on this, uh, Zelda? How do we improve these... Um, <clears throat> how do we improve our own movements? How do we uh, empower ourselves to create, uh, to demand better from the government and maybe like foster more solidarity and all of that? We are What we are doing here, <clears throat> especially now, we are organizing, you know, our co-migrant uh, Filipino worker here. So we are building community uh, of Filipino people here that will, um, you know, that will uh, have the, you know, the the same call for, uh, you know, uh, for the improvement uh, to demand uh, about our, uh, the improvement of working conditions, the living wage, our right in everything here. So <clears throat> we are, uh, hopefully, we add, uh, this initiative, uh, I mean, uh, our initiative will uh, gain more support uh, to explore, to ex to expose, you know, uh, the worst, the worsening situations of, uh, you know, this uh, labor pass, pa the effect of this labor uh, policy that the government is imposing us, and um, hope uh, it, this, uh, if we can build more, you know. Uh, more organizations that um, fighting for the, our uh, for the right and welfare of migrant Filipino workers, I think uh, it have it will help a lot because you cannot fight alone. I guess in relation to that, what can the listeners do if they are moved to help? How what can the listeners do to help in general, and what can the listeners do to help like? The thing that you're doing with the help desk, uh, with your and and your and you as a volunteer and other volunteers in general. Actually, now what we are doing now, um, there is uh, some policies now that they are imposing here. Mm. Um, for example, there are some uh, what is this? The OEC. There are some requirements that they are <clears throat> what is this imposing us to do which is not required with in this country they are only just you know it is just uh, a new phase of corruption so we are uh, helping our filipino community here to expose this kind of corrupt corruptions uh, there are some mandata uh, mandatories that they are imposing us which not beneficiary you know it will not benefit us at all those pill health those extra extra baggage you know for us to pay uh we are now on the uh we are uh we are we are exposing this at least you know the the, the filipino com community not only here uh we uh, and also all over the world we're here that there are you know they are doing this kind of policies imposing these policies trying to you know uh to to make an experiment if we will accept or no. They are just trying to make some experiment, you know, 
enabled to have this kind of corruption. If we will accept it again, or we will push, you know, to to fight. Yeah, and I guess that that happens a lot, doesn't it? Like people just test how much, uh, how much more that you know others can be exploited, how much more that workers can be, can be exploited. But it's really good. It's it's really um, amazing that uh, you guys are fighting back, right? And I think I believe you know the listeners here can um, amplify those voices whenever, wherever uh, they hear it. You know. Um, I guess that's that's the least that that we can do, right? Because I also understand um, there's there's all these restrictions on on financial support and and all of these, especially in the United Arab Emirates. So it's pretty challenging. But yeah, the least we can do is is to 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 amplify the voices and you know finding out campaigns to support uh, you. Uh, this initiative, uh, hopefully, it will you know spread. It will continue. Uh, Actually, uh, as what you said, uh, we are really in uh, limitations of resources, especially, you know, uh, financial, because there are some uh, cases that, you know, we need to rescue our kababayans. Yeah. Uh, we are only can provide, you know, load. Okay, we will provide 30 load, 30 dirham load so that you can call the labor, so you can call our embassy to, you know, to inform uh, your situation. That is the only, but not, uh, you know, not all the time you have the money in the pocket mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. we are also working here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, yeah, you know, yeah. at least hopefully we can gather some, you know, at least financial uh, help from the other listeners that can provide for the, uh, you know, at least uh, financial uh, support for uh, continuous, uh, for the, con you know, for the, for the distress OSW here. Actually, the, those it, financial as assistance we, we are asking, uh, we are, you know, uh, we are the, uh, asking is, you know, usually there are some of our kababayans here that they are cancelled by the employer or they've been terminated, they don't have work here. So at least uh, we can provide at least uh, food assistance for them while they are looking for a job. So we, actually we are uh, doing, uh, we are providing that, but it is limited because our resources, it depends also in our, you know, our salaries. It is voluntarily. So hopefully, hopefully this, you know, initiative can help us can help yeah, the yeah. Filipino migrant workers to at least, they will feel that we are only the one who is fighting for them. We are only, uh, there are many people, those who listen, that are really concerned. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure of that. I'm sure all of the listeners here are very concerned about this modern day slavery going on still until, until today. This exploitation is just kind of like pretty extreme so um thank you so much uh for bringing this to the to the forefront and i think you're doing amazing work uh, zelda um theo do you have any any further thoughts on support and all of these things and maybe here we can push for i don't know like government accountability in in other ways once we're not once you know for those of us who are not directly involved with uh with like yeah, OFWs and stuff? Um, I think number one is to educate ourselves about this condition so we, we we can have a firmer grasp of these are not just, you know, isolated incidents of abuse, what Zelda happened, what, what happened to Zelda and to, to her uh, colleagues. These are not, uh, you know, isolated incidents, but to have a bigger picture analysis of, of the structural causes of uh, labor migration, that would be one. Another is what you said, Bonnie, amplifying the voices of uh, OFWs, you know, their their struggles, their situations, cases of abuse, and also the way they, they fight back, the way they they try to <clears throat> call on the government to, to respond to their cases. Yeah, I think uh, the third would be, right, to, to call for, you know, government accountability. <clears throat> and uh, to call for accountability with regard to the situation of uh, OFWs and basically to, to to generate decent jobs at home. I think that's the main call. Um, you know, Migrante is known for um, calling for um, government. It's, it's the Philippine government that they're really, you know, um, asking to act 
it's not really the migrant receiving countries or it's migrant receiving countries as well, but mainly the Philippine government because they want to address the root causes of uh, labor migration. So, so that's num that's also what our readers can do to help. You know, because uh, the Philippine government, as I said, is really uh, dependent on OFW remittances. It would take <clears throat> voices of everyone uh, to to push it into a different direction. Yeah, because I think one of the trends that I've been uh, uh, watching is you know like because um because of our media technologies and the way things are happening people have become so divided and fragmented we are not talking to each other as much as we should um i think that's also one because you know labor labor migrants not only from the philippines are everywhere we should also you know listen to labor migrate migrants if they come across them, you know, what are their situation, how difficult it is, what push them. I think it's, you know, nothing deep, you know, like something as real and as concrete as listening to people talk. Actually, as as uh, as what Teo said, actually, this is really what I wanted, you know, uh, for the government, in, uh, you know, the government, uh, at least, you know, these agencies, especially our government agencies, uh, at least, you know, to to have a dig deeper and listen more to domestic worker concern. Because as my experience, they are really not listening. They are not really, they are, huh, I hate the idea that we are paying their salary, but they, we are not receiving any, you know, they didn't listen to us. Yeah, again, that's why I think amplifying these voices over and over again, I think that's, that matters and hopefully, yeah, you should be listened, like all workers should be listened to. Best of luck. I mean, thank you so much, uh, Teo and Zelda. You're doing such amazing work. And I do believe that, you know, we really need to keep fighting forward. We really need to keep up the struggle. And yeah, that's, you know, again, democracy takes the work of everyone, as you just mentioned, Teo. So hopefully we can make a small dent uh, from the listeners. Uh, as well to amplify the voices, ask the government to take accountability and, and help in whatever way we all can. Thank you very much again for speaking to me. And that wraps up our discussion with Theo and Zelda. They are doing amazing work with Theo on research and Zelda on the ground. And we can't stress enough how much help is needed for this cause to move forward. Unfortunately, restrictions in the United Arab Emirates means that the help desk is unable to solicit or even receive financial donations, which puts them at an even more disadvantaged position. However, you, dear listener, can help by amplifying the voices of OFWs and domestic workers specifically. Tell everyone about the conditions, issues and struggles they face and that the government needs to stop enabling this modern-day slavery. Share the articles and OFWs that you can find on our website, newnarrative.com, and support the campaigns and struggles that you can find on the issue everywhere. My name is Bonnie Bell Rambatan, and this has been Southeast Asia Dispatches, brought to you by New Narrative and produced by Dania Yudo. I'll see you around.